Welcome to the Kenza Pod, brought to you by the Kenza Collective, a platform designed to teach parents how to leverage their existing skills and network to create a successful freelance business. On this podcast, we bring you inspiring stories from other parent entrepreneurs, and we share pro tips to help you build a sustainable business so that you can create a life and a living that truly works for your family. Hey there, this is Tiffany Jones, Kenza's co-founder and CEO, and this is going to be part one of a three-part series where I'm going to walk you through everything start to finish of a managing the client relationship. So this, I'm starting with the discovery call, which is just kind of your first call with a new client, or you could also use that as your uh, a call with an existing client who wants to start a new project, so that discovery call all the way through the wrap up of a project, how to properly wrap a project up um, and how to start to look for opportunities to bid more work with current clients that you really enjoy working with. All of the information that I'm gonna be sharing with you is based on my experience over the last 15 years of my career managing clients in many different venues. So I've managed creative agencies, I've written tons of proposals, five and six figure proposals, Um, I've run the operations of co-working spaces where you're working with a lot of customers and clients, and I've just learned a lot along the way. And really what this gets back to, with the heart of me teaching you all of this, is that I think and I really do believe that your ability to manage your client relationships well is really the key to you enjoying freelancing because you can have all the systems and processes and, and everything in place. You can have a um, amazing skill set. You can be an, an incredible graphic designer or, or virtual assistant or whatever it is that you do. Um, but if you don't understand how to manage your clients, it's going to be tough. It's going to drain you. Um, it's going to take a lot more of your time and energy than you would like. It can lead to conflict in the relationship. It can lead to resentment. Uh, it could just lead to a lot of bad things. And I don't want any of that for you because ultimately what I want for you is for you to build a career that supports your lifestyle and supports you being able to show up as a better human, a better partner, and a better parent, whatever that looks like for you. And so just like any other relationship in your life, the relationships that we build with our clients are really important. This person is going to be in your life and you want to make sure that you have the, the appropriate boundaries in place and um, that you're staying ahead of any potential conflict that can come up as much as possible. With all that said, you know, things are going to happen. We're working with humans. We are humans and this isn't going to be perfect. But there are ways that you can ask the right questions, you can pay attention to your intuition, you can have an important conversation, um, get over your fear of trying to please everyone, um, and, and try to be preventative of a lot of things that can come up so that when the inevitable conflict or some kind of issue does come up, you know, you're better able to handle that. And it's not just um, one conflict in a long line of a bunch of little things that have been happening. One metaphor that I've been thinking about as I've been kind of digging into this material and getting ready for this is the concept of a ship. And, you know, if a ship is out to sea and has a lot of little tiny holes in it, it's going to take a while, but eventually that ship will fill up with water and it will sink. And that's kind of how I think about proposals. Um, You know, you really want to make sure that your proposal is, in this metaphor, watertight. And what I mean by that is you really want to ask the right questions and just make sure that you've covered all your bases and there are no gray areas in your proposals. Now, sometimes you're going to work on a project where there are going to be gray areas. You know, you can't have it all figured out right from the get-go and that's fine. 
sometimes I add an actual section in my proposals that's that's called something like gray areas or um, you know unknowns or something like that depending on what makes sense for that particular project and I will actually write out some of the areas that I feel unsure of and what a backup plan would be for that so you know if um, Let's say, for example, part of my uh, part of a project I'm working on is dependent on another contractor or an employee or something doing something before I can start my part. Well, I don't want my entire project and ultimately my paycheck being tied to this other person hopefully performing. So I might actually call that out in there and really talk through it with a client. So things like that, those are the little things you really want to start to dig into and understand from the very beginning so that by the time you're actually starting your project, the proposal is really your project plan. You take that and you translate in, that into a project management software if you're using one or whatever you're using to sort of organize yourself, you're ready to go because you've thought through everything already and now it's just kind of a matter of execution. Okay, so in this first one, we're gonna be talking about how to use the discovery call to write your proposals. In the second part of this uh, three-part series, I'm gonna walk you through some pro tips as it relates to actually managing the relationship while you're in a project with a client. Um, I'm gonna talk through how to build up that like, know, and trust factor with your client throughout your engagement. And then in the third part of this series, I'm gonna be talking about how to wrap up, how and when to start wrapping up a project and how you can be looking for opportunities to continue your relationship with your client. Um, and I'll get to that in the third part. So let's dive into this one. So your discovery call with a new client is super important, and there's really two main objectives to this call. The first one is you want to make sure that this client and the project are going to be a good fit for you. And the second objective is if you do think it's going to be a good fit for you, now you wanna to start to dig into the details and start asking some key questions. Your role on this call is to be a good listener and a good question asker. <laughs> you need to be listening to some of the things they're saying, the ways they're saying it, some of their little comments. You really wanna be just really paying attention to how this potential client is um, sharing this information with you. And if you get any hints of a red flag, um, you know, I, we've talked about this before of the importance of sort of having a red flags list of the types of clients or the types of projects that you do not want to work on. Um, you want to really pay attention to those in this call. So let's just get into it. So let's talk about that first objective, trying to figure out whether or not this client and or this project uh, is going to be the right fit for you. So when you first get on a discovery call, I think there are three main things you should start to figure out right away before you really get into the details of the project. And I'm calling that the who, what, and when. So you want to learn who are you going to be working with on the team. And then this is in no order. These are just, just figure out these three things in whatever order kind of makes sense in the call. So who are you going to be working with? Is it the person you're talking to? Is it someone else on the team? Who is this person? What are they like? Can you talk to them before you actually bid this project? If you think about it, this is going to be your main point of contact. This is the person you're going to be relying on to be able to get your work done. And you want to make sure you like this person. Obviously, they don't need to be your best friend, but you just want to make sure that they're the type of person that you want to be working with. So figure out who it is that you're going to be working with directly. And a quote comes to mind that I think about a lot um, in, in, a, in a lot of my relationships, actually, which is when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Okay, so if you're talking to a potential client and they say a couple of comments that are just kind of 
weird to you. Um, for example, let me give you an example for this one. One time I sat down with a potential client that I ended up not working with um, because of this reason. Um, and we were in our discovery call. It's actually a in-person conversation back when those were allowed. And um, they just spent most of our conversation, I would say 70% of the conversation, crap talking their team and past team members and past freelancers and just the organization. And just, you could tell they were kind of disgruntled and frustrated. And for whatever reason, this actually kind of happens to me a lot. They, they felt the need to sort of vent about all of that to me, a person they had never met before. I was referred through a mutual contact and, um, and that was just a red flag to me. I, I really don't want to work with someone who thinks that that kind of behavior is okay, especially in a professional setting. And so pretty soon into the conversation, within 20, 30 minutes, I knew that this was not a person I wanted to work with. And so I took steps to sort of get myself out of that conversation and not waste any, anyone's time continuing it on when I knew this really wasn't a person I wanted to be working with. Um, and I'll get into how to do that in a minute. So that's what I mean by who. Who are you going to be working with? Okay, what? What are you going to be working on? So you want to make sure that the project that you're going to be doing um, is interesting to you. Obviously, it doesn't need to be this like amazing thing that's your passion and that you love it. And, oh my God, you can't wait to work on it, which I mean, that'd be great. But you need to be at least interested in it. Can you genuinely kind of get behind the project and have real authentic enthusiasm for what this project is and what you're going to be working on? So really start to, to question that and see what, what it is that you're going to be doing and if it's even something you're going to be interested in. And then the when, now this is a really, really, really important question and maybe something you even want to lead with is um, when, ask the client, when do you, um, when are you hoping to start this project and when are you hoping to have this project wrapped up? And another key question you can ask when you're talking about that are, are there any hard deadlines or key milestone deadlines that I need to know about or, you know, that you need to share at this point in time? And um, I say this because a lot of times you have to remember that um, if a client, someone you're talking to, if they're not really used to working with freelancers or contractors, um, they might be used to just being able to turn to an employee on their team or call someone up and say, hey, oh my gosh, I totally forgot we need this thing by Friday. Can you pull this off? And as an employee, you can generally sort of drop everything and, and pivot to that because you know your boss or your colleague has asked for that and it's not a big deal. But as a freelancer, you can't do that. And so you need to be really clear on what their timeline is and, and be honest with yourself if it's something that you can hit. And let me just say this one thing. If a client, potential client you're talking to says, when you ask this question, when do you want this done by? And they say to you, oh God, we needed this done yesterday. Watch out. Okay, go back to that quote. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. Same goes for a company. When a company shows you who they are, believe them. There are some companies, especially kind of small businesses, but you know, kind of any company and even any department who kind of fly by the seat of their pants and they operate, everything is last minute, everything is an emergency. Um, and there's lots of reasons why that happens. But as a, as a parent, as a freelancing parent, that is a very uh, dangerous and difficult relationship to be in because we can't, at least speaking for myself, I can't operate like that. You know, every once in a while, a client will have an urgent request or something and, and I can do my best to meet that. But I don't, do not want to sign on to a whole project where their, their MO is we needed done yesterday. 
that tells me the client's disorganized. It tells me they don't respect people's time and energy, and I don't want to be working with someone like that. At this point in my career, I've worked for plenty of people like that, and the beauty of freelancing is that you get to choose that you who you want to who you work with and who you don't want to work with. So just beware. Okay, so that's the first part of your conversation. And you really want to get curious about this who, what, and when um, buckets here and listen to their answers and ask questions because what you're trying to do is figure out if you should stay for the second part of the call, which would be to get a lot more into the details of the actual project. If you hear things in that first part that are just like, oh man, that's, you know, you know right away, a lot of times you will just know right away, this is not for me, this is not the project for me, then you can take steps to get off of that call. So if you do need to get off that call, um, all you need to say is something like, okay, thank you so much for this information. You know, let me look at my schedule and check on a few things and let me get back to you with what our next steps might be and uh, I'll follow up with you in, in a day or so. Something like that, some way to exit it. Because here's the thing, there are some people out there and, and I don't mean to bag on, on the people who do this, but there are some people out there who will continue the conversation even when they know 100% there's no way that they're gonna be a good fit for this person. And they will even go so far as to get off the call and write a proposal. And some people's strategy is to never turn down a potential client, to write a proposal and just price them out. Basically give it some astronomical price that they know that they can never accept. I don't like that. I think that's just a huge waste of everyone's time. If you know at this point in the call it's not gonna be a good fit, be a professional and figure out a way to get off that call and then figure out a way to either refer someone else to them or to just you know let them know that you don't think it's going to be a good fit for whatever reason it's fine this is not um this is business business is business you know what i mean and you don't you can be a professional about this if you even took that extra step to write a proposal it's like gosh that's just like you're taking the time they're taking the time to review it you know and then what if they do accept now you have to work with them it just seems silly to me so again, I'm just always trying to help you guys as freelancing parents save time and save energy so you can spend that with your family and spend that on yourself. And this is a point in the discovery call where you can really save yourself and your clients some aggravation. Okay, so let's say though that you are intrigued by the project. Maybe there's a couple little, I don't know about this, but you're intrigued enough to keep going with the conversation. Now this is really where you want to take the opportunity to ask some very specific questions to get the right answer out of your client. So before we dive into this, I wanna outline kind of the eight main sections of my proposals that I have. And don't worry, all of this information is in a Google Doc that you can make a copy of at our on our website, kenzacollective.com. Um, slash podcast. You can go there and grab this. And not only have I included an agenda for your discovery call, but I've also included this proposal template that I'm about to go through and the key questions that you want to ask under each section so that you can get the information that you need to understand really what you're getting yourself into. So just listen to what I'm talking through and then um, all of this information is available for you on that Google Doc. So don't worry too much because it might get a little overwhelming, but I'm gonna do my best to kind of walk you through this. So in general, all my proposals have about eight sections. The overview always starts with the overview and this is where you state in maybe two or three sentences the problem that you're coming in to solve. You may even add in there what success would look like or will look like at the end of this project. The second section is the scope of work. So everything you're going to do, obviously. The third section is deliverables. 
So what are you going to be handing your client at the end of the engagement, including how you're going to be handing your client? So what kind of files are they going to get? How are you going to give them to, to them? Are you going to put it on a flash drive and mail it? Are you going to email it? Whatever. We'll get into that. Um, timeline. What is the timeline of this project? Every single project, in my opinion, needs to have a start and an end date. So generally what I will do is I will give a range. I'll say this is a six to eight week project or an eight to 10 week project, depending on obviously what it is. And I like to give a range because that does give you a little bit of wiggle room. If you just say this is a six week project, well, something is going to go wrong. Someone's going to be on vacation. You're going to get sick. Some random thing will happen or some sort of delay. And you don't want to then have to deal with like, oh no, now it's seven weeks and you know, whatever. So always put a timeline. Um, and generally what I say is that a project starts at our kickoff meeting. And so once we have a kickoff meeting, that's when that six to eight week sort of time frame starts. Okay, so timeline. Communication. How are you going to communicate? When are you going to communicate? How often are you going to communicate? So generally with my projects, I have a weekly standing meeting with my clients. I check in with them every single week. Sometimes, depending on where we're at in the project, we end up skipping it because there's just you know, we're fully up to date on everything that's going on, but I find it to be very important to keep that weekly rhythm and keep the momentum moving so that you have sort of these checkpoints along the way and so that your client understands what you're doing all the time. So it's important to outline all of that information as well as where, so is this going to be Zoom? Is this going to be a Google Hangout? How are you guys going to be doing this? The sixth section is the budget, obviously, so or, or the cost, and your proposal will be the cost. You know, when you're talking uh, on the discovery call, there will be an opportunity for you to ask, what is your budget range on this? Terms. Now, a lot of people, I you know, will have a contract attached to their proposals, you know, sort of a blanket contract that you would give to all clients. And you will have things in there about payments, project delays, things like that. But what I like to do is pull out some of the key terms, some of the um, things that are really important to me that I make sure the client understands. So for example, back to that timeline, I'm really strict about my timelines because I book up. And so if I slot in my calendar, a, you know, a six to eight week project with a client, that tells me that, you know, I know when I can start another project either with them or with someone else. But if my client, um, due to circumstances outside of my control, delays our project together, then they have to pay for that. <laughs> that's not like we don't get to just go over. Um, and it, uh, that's a cost for me. And, and I'm not willing to just eat that because for whatever reason, the project got delayed on their end. So it's a little bit more nuanced than that. You know, I'm not like so, you know, um, hard lined on that, but you know, these are some of the terms that I put in there and that we, I make sure to talk about with the client when I'm presenting this proposal and then next steps. So this is another one that I see people missing a lot is telling them what are the next steps? Um, it seems intuitive, you know, maybe you send a proposal to someone, for example, on, uh, I use fresh books to send my proposals and there's a big green accept button that allows them to do like an e-signature and they click accept and then that sends them down a little funnel thing. Um, and what was funny is I thought that it was really obvious. I mean, it's like this massive green accept button, but I had multiple clients be like, okay, what do I do now? And I was like, oh my gosh, they're just not seeing that. So I put, I've been adding, I have been adding a next step section, which is basically like, go ahead and hit that green accept button when you're ready to go do your e-signature. That'll give me an alert and let me know that we're ready and blah, 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 blah. And I, I list out kind of what's going to happen next. So those are my eight main sections, overview, scope of work, deliverables, 
timeline, communication, uh, cost, terms, and next steps. And don't worry, I'm, I am going to circle back to how this all integrates with the discovery call. And there's three other sections I just wanted to share with you um, that I sometimes add in depending on the project. So I mentioned it earlier, but the known gray area. So if there's something about this project that I know has the potential to either extend the timeline or to push us out of scope, but we haven't quite figured out what it is, I will just call it out and I'll give some options as to how we can handle that when it does get figured out. Um, I don't want those little gray areas to sneak up on us later. I want my, me and my client to be on the same page of like, we both know that this particular part of the project hasn't been figured out yet and we are going to figure it out and we may need to talk about it. And I may even write something in there like, if we decide to do it this way, then we'll need to revisit um, timeline and cost on this particular scope of work. Um, so, you know, just calling some of those stuff, some of those things out is sometimes necessary in a project. Um, the second section sometimes I add in is outside vendors. So if I'm planning to bring in some extra help, like maybe I'm helping someone with a website project and you know, we need a designer to do some work on it. And they, they're, they're asking me to bring that person on to manage them, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to put that in the proposal, you know, designer, this person, and here's how I plan to be interacting with them. Because basically what you want your proposal to show is every single thing you're going to be doing, not just your scope of work, but your scope, your meetings, the people you're going to be managing, the deliverables, how you're going to package up those deliverables, everything that you're going to be doing because you want the client to see the full amount of work that is going into this project. Um, I think that that helps to justify higher costs and it helps to just show them how much you're thinking through this and how much you're going to be involved in this. And then the third section that I add sometimes is something that I call your role, my role. So what this is, is that sometimes it helps to call out the roles on a project. And again, this is just really focusing on setting expectations for your client. Like that's really what your proposals are there. It's a set of expectations. This is what you can expect from me. This is what I expect from you. And are we on the same page here from the get go? Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but pretty much everything, any, almost any conflict in life and really in the world all comes down to misaligned expectations. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I'm thinking it's going to go one way. You're thinking it's going to go the other way. We cross paths. It doesn't work. And we get frustrated with each other. We get um, resentful. We get blamey, you know, and that's where the drama starts. And a lot of that just doesn't have to happen if you can just have these conversations up front. But in order to have these conversations, you need to ask the right questions and you need to be able to understand how things might play out. Now, listen, a lot of this stuff is going to come to you through experience and sometimes you're going to have to learn the hard way, but hopefully what I'm going to be sharing here and all the rest of the stuff, content that we have planned with Kenza, where I'm talking a lot about proposals and client management is going to help teach you um, some lessons without having to learn them the hard way. Okay. So back to the, your role, my role. So, um, here's one example. I'm going to give you an example of where this came up and why it was really important. One time I was uh, working with a client and I had three other projects rolling with them, which was great. And you know, that's, I'm a project manager. So, you know, it's right in my wheelhouse. It was totally fine. They wanted me to take on a fourth project. This fourth project was going to be helping them to produce a, um, an online course. 
and my fear, and they wanted to start it basically right away, right in the middle of all this other stuff. And I knew that I did not truly have the capacity to do much actual like work on that project, actual production part, you know, like editing videos or loading it into their website or doing any of that stuff that like takes a lot of time. But what I did have time for was to manage the project, which is pulling the teams together, making sure we're staying on time, um, seeing things, you know, potential problems coming down and trying down the line and trying to solve those problems before they became one. Um, the type of management stuff is what I had time for and capacity for and honestly desire for. And so, and, and then the other thing that I knew was that I knew this client was, was going to want me to do a lot of that stuff because they know I can, I'm good at it and they don't want to figure it out. But I knew that I wasn't going to be able to actually do that at a very high level. So I, and I was honest with them. I basically told them this and I was like, your options are that we can wait until I have some more capacity to actually produce it at that level, or I can take it on now and your team will be responsible for the actual execution of things. And they chose that, but I wanted to have that in writing in our scope of work. Always, 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 always put things in writing. If you make a key decision with someone, if you talk about something, follow up to make sure that you each heard each other properly. So I put this in here. I said, my role in this project, due to other projects that we have in motion at this time, I would like to suggest that we keep my role limited to what's outlined above, which was just really management of the role. My role will mainly be to kick the project off and help with the overall strategy of the course. From there, I'll oversee the project by working with your team to ensure that the pieces are coming together and continuing to provide strategic oversight to the full project plan itself. I can act as a creative director on the project as well, making sure that all the visual assets are in line with the goals we've lined up. And then I wrote your role in this project. Your team will be responsible for the actual execution of the plan, including creating graphics, recording and editing content, uploading to uh, Kajabi, which is the website they were using, writing copy, etc. This will help to ensure that the other projects we have going uh, continue to be a top priority while also making sure that this project is being moved forward. So you can see how I really was very clear about the two scopes of work, you know, my scope and their scope. And sometimes I feel like that's really important. So all of this to say, don't be afraid to add sections to your proposal. It doesn't, there's no like special formula to this in terms of like, you know, your clients aren't, they just want to see a proposal. It's your job to put in there what needs to go in there so that you can go over it with them. You can have an open conversation and then you both sign off on it. And then if something comes up in the project, you can go back to your proposal. That the ability to go back to your proposal and look at what you both signed off on has saved my butt so many times. And you know, what you can do is if something is being pushed out of scope, you can go back to your proposal and sort of remind them like, remember we kind of talked about this and, and this isn't really in scope for this project, but here's what I can do. I can write you, you know, a smaller scope of work or smaller proposal, we can add that in or you know, give them options. You wanna be able to do it, but you're not doing it for free. That's like the most important thing that you need to remember as a freelancer is that you do not work for free. If somebody, if, if their company got delayed internally and the project pushes past the original timeline, you need to charge for that. If they want you to do something that's outside of the original scope of work, you need to charge for that. It doesn't have to be um, a confrontation or any drama or anything like that. All you have to say is, uh, you know, that's, that's out of my scope of work for this project, but I'm happy to work with you to figure out how we can get this done or whatever. Use that phrase that that's not in our scope of work. You know, we, that's not something we talked about in our scope of work. 
but always, you know, of course you can help them with it. Um, you just need to renegotiate something. Okay, so back to your discovery call. What you're gonna wanna do is have your, um, your Google Doc open, the template that I'm providing for you. And it has each section of your proposal listed in there. And I've put maybe, I don't know, five to 10 questions, depending on the section, of the types of questions you wanna ask. And these are not like, so tell me about the project. These are like the detailed questions, the things that I've learned along the way to ask to make sure I, like I said earlier, fully understand what I'm getting myself into before I get myself into it. So here's an example. So now you're on the discovery call, they're, they're talking to you about the project and you know, it's maybe your opportunity to start to ask some questions. So as you start to look at the overview section, for example, some of the questions you wanna ask are, what's the problem you're trying to solve with this project? I find that to be a really interesting question because sometimes that's just not clear. Like, why are we doing this? What's, what is the problem here that, you're, that, that even brought you to the point of talking to someone to hire them to bring them in to solve this issue? And see what their answer is. You'd be surprised at some of the information that you get from this question. Another interesting one is, what have you done to try to solve the problem in the past? So that's gonna give you really interesting information as well. You're gonna, I mean, maybe it's nothing, you know, maybe they haven't done anything yet, but maybe they have tried to solve the problem and it hasn't worked. And so by asking that question, you can understand what hasn't worked. You can ask why that hasn't worked. And it can, that might even raise some red flags for you to try to understand that maybe the problem that they're trying to bring you in to solve is much deeper than what you can actually do for them. So anyway, just ask those questions and you'll be surprised at what you get. Um, what does success look like? So if we were to get through this project together, you know, what are you hoping, what does success look like for you at the end of this? And another question you could ask depending on the project is what metrics are you, should we use to measure success? So if you're doing a website or you're doing something like social media or something like that, what are the metrics that we can use to see if we've been successful? So those are some of the questions you can ask to help you craft that overview section. Um, another example is in the timeline, and we talked about this, are there any hard deadlines I need to be aware of? What's your target launch or completion date? Another interesting thing that you can ask about timing is um, understanding your point of contact or the team that you're gonna be working with, understanding their schedule. So you could ask stuff like, uh, are you planning to take, if, if you're talking to who will be your point of contact, are you planning to take any vacations or extended time off during the next, you know, six to eight weeks if we were to start soon? Um, so that you understand, you can build that into your timeline. Again, these are things they're not going to think to tell you. Some will, but a lot won't. Another important question you can ask, and this really comes up if this is the type of project that you've done a lot of, and it may be like a big collaboration between you and the client. Like it's not just something they hand to you, you'll get done over in a silo and bring it back to them. You know, maybe you're helping to do some copywriting with them or you're doing designs or something that's like you need their feedback and you need their opinion. Um, you want to make sure that they have time for that. You know, you may want to say something like, you know, in my experience, typically um, I need to work with my clients about two to three hours a week, about a one hour check-in every week call to discuss kind of where the project's at. And then sometimes, you know, if we're doing copy together, I'll need you to be looking at reviewing the documents I'm sending over and sending me feedback. And generally I find that's about two to three hours a week of work, something like that. And then ask them, do you feel like, you know, is now a good time for you to start this project? Or you, do you have time in your schedule to actually take this project on right now and work with me on this? 
that's a really important question that you want to figure out from the get-go. Um, I remember starting really big website projects um, back when I was managing creative agencies and when our point of contact was already overbooked and super busy, it made the project just uh, very frustrating. Um, because they were just holding things up and then they were frustrated and then they felt embarrassed because they're holding this huge project up. And, and so there's ways to get around that. You know, you can work with a different point of contact. Um, you can be really clear about when the work is going to ramp up. So a lot of times when we have a client like that, I would say, okay, the first four weeks of our engagement together, we're going to need a lot of your involvement. And I would, you know, you should expect X amount of hours a week. But as we get into actually, you know, developing the website for the next four weeks after that, we won't really need as much of your time. So let's start this project where it's going to be good timing for you to really be able to focus with us and, and get through some of these early things. So you can craft a schedule around that person's you know availability but if you don't know that from the beginning and you just get into a project and you have to discover that that's where some friction can come up so timing talk about timing as much as you can and then you know stuff under communication we already kind of talked about this how does your team communicate um Another good question to ask in there is who are the decision makers? So you need to understand who on their team is going to need to be the person approving things and what's their availability like, you know, and you can just sort of ask, you know, the potential client say something like, um, so, uh, are you the key decision maker as, you know, are you going to be able to give final approval on some of the work that we're doing or is someone else going to need to be looking at this work together too? And if, and if it's the case that someone else is going to need to look at the work as well and they're going to need to get approval by several other people or sometimes you're going to get in a situation where um, they need like their board to approve some of the work, um, things like that, you need to build in time for that. That stuff takes time. Um, and, and if they do say something like that, you need to dig into that and understand what their internal process looks like and figure out the way, and it may not be on that first conversation, but at least make note of that you need to figure out how this is actually going to go down and how you're going to get the decisions you need um, and how to work within the bureaucracy of their organization. So that communication piece is not only about how and when and where you're going to communicate with your client, but also what is the internal communication like on their team and understanding how that's going to work. It's going to be really critical for you. So like I said, the Google Doc that I'm providing goes through each of those eight sections of the proposal and I list a bunch of these types of questions in there that you're going to want to bring up. So go get that doc. I'm not going to go through all of them here because this would turn into like an hour and a half long podcast and I'm trying to get through this quickly for you guys. Um, but go to kensacollective.com, go to our podcast page and you'll be able to find this. Now, before we wrap up, there are a couple of questions, sort of like FAQs that may come up when you are talking to a potential client. And I want to just give you some quick little pro tips about how to answer those questions. So a big question that you almost always will get is something like, so how much do you think this is going to cost? How, you know, what's a range on this or what, what have you charged for projects like this in the past? And as someone who's been a client myself, I understand that question. And obviously that's, that's like a, a very natural, normal question to ask of someone. But here's the problem for you as a freelancer. Number one, they're asking that question at a point in your relationship where you're still figuring out all of the details. And you really do need to sit down and look at all of your notes and really think through this at a critical level before you can actually give a proper quote. 
obviously if this is a project that you've done a million times and you know it's it's pretty straightforward you might be able to give them a really um you know a really legitimate range like oh you know typically in the past for similar projects it's been somewhere in the 1500 to 2000 range kind of depending on a few of these details you can say something like that but beware even that um, is going to pigeonhole you so let's take that example for a minute let's say you say oh, 1500 to 2000 something like that well let's say you leave that call you sit down you go through all of this you put together a proposal and you do your calculations and you realize that actually this is probably going to be this should be around 2100 2200 based on the amount of time it's going to take um now what are you going to do so you're going to go back to them they already have this range in their mind 1500 to 2000 you're going to go back to them and say yeah actually it's 2200 that's going to kind of suck for them you know you've already set an expectation um, let's say you come in at 2000 and this actually happened to me as a client. I had someone sort of quote me this big range of like 600 to 2000 or something like that. And they came back to me with like a little bit higher. And I thought to myself like, well, where did that 600 come from? And how can we get to that? You know, and it's just, again, you just don't want to start your relationship like this. You're just, your role, one of your roles is to try and set appropriate expectations so a lot of times, and I'm, I'm pretty firm on this, I, I pretty much don't ever throw out a number when someone asks me. What I tell them is, I say, you know, each project that I work on is, is very unique. And I ask a lot of questions to make sure I understand the full, you know, scope of this project. And now I really need to sit down and kind of go through my own internal process to figure out how much this is going to cost. And, you know, you can say, um, let me go through that and I, I will get you a price, you know, as soon as I can, but I need to sit down before I can even, you know, give you a range or anything like that. I need to really look at this. You can say something like that. And you know what? You should, I think you should, and you should practice that, you know, have a line down, have the thing that you say sort of memorized, say it in the mirror, practice it, say it out loud, uh, role play with your spouse, <laughs> you know, have them ask that question and you answer back so that when you're in the heat of the moment, especially for my people pleasers out there, um, you feel prepared and you, it just sort of comes out naturally. And you know what? Like it's fine. If, if a client's going to walk away at that point in the relationship because you didn't just give them a cost on the spot, then they're not going to be a good client anyways. They may be slightly annoyed, but you know what? You are saving yourself because the thing I don't want to see you do is say something like 1500 to 2000, you sit down and calculate it and you realize it's actually in the 23 to $2,500 range. But then you think to yourself, well, I already told them 1500 to 2000, so I'm just going to do 2000. No, no, do not do that. Um, Think about if you did that throughout the year, how much that would add up to. You're not valuing yourself, you're not valuing your time, and it's just, no, don't do that to yourself. That's not right. So avoid setting a price expectation unless you somehow are really, really confident in whatever you're saying. Okay, I will move on from that point. <laughs> okay, second little pro tip FAQ here. So what if your client is describing this project to you and it's just a really big project and there's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of moving pieces, there's um, so much to, to dig into, to even figure out, you just don't even know where to start to put together a scope of work. Okay, if that is how you are feeling, then you need to start with something that I call the discovery phase. You do not need to bid out a big old project that you don't have enough information on because someone's going to get burned. Either you are or the client is. 
you are because you might um, underbid it. And once you really get into it, determine like, holy crap, this is a much bigger project than I realized, but you're kind of stuck in this proposal. Or the client could get screwed because you overcompensate thinking, oh my gosh, this might be huge. So I'm going to just pad the budget. And maybe your client then gets screwed over because it wasn't actually as big as you thought it was going to be. And neither one of those outcomes are great. And so I'm not going to get into this now because I have a whole podcast episode, episode 19, called How to Get Paid to Write Your Proposals. I'll link that here in the show notes for you. And it talks all about how to do that and um, how to pitch it. It's like a two to three week engagement where you have a deliverable at the end. So, you know, if they need a walk away or it turns out it's not a good fit or whatever, you know, they still have something out of that and you didn't get locked into a huge project. It's also a really good strategy for a client that you don't know and that you want to do a small little engagement with to see how they are, see if it works, um, and then move on if you need to kind of give yourself an out before signing on to a six month project with a client that you don't know anything about. So anyway, um, that would be my answer to that. Now let's say you guys are talking about timeline. So the question here is what if the timeline is unreasonable? You know, I have come across this a lot of times where a client says, this is my project, this is what I want done, and I really need it done in four weeks. And based on experience, I know that there's almost no way that that's going to happen. Like, sometimes it's like like actual physics, like the amount of moving pieces and this other company that's involved and these people that need to jump in, like, it's just, it's actually just not going to happen. So there's kind of a couple options that you can do there. If you know that it's just actually like impossible to do, well, then you probably should share that with them and back that up with your experience and your, you know, why you're saying that. Um, You can always just turn it down and say, you know, I understand your timeline. I I don't think that I'm going to be the best fit to be able to get that done as fast as you need. Um, But I have some people that I can refer you to that might be able to help you out. That's one option. Or you can charge a rush fee. So you can charge them a lot more and be upfront with that. Say it's a rush fee to basically clear your calendar and bust this out for them. And, you know, that's not something you, you need to think about that. <laughs> you need to make sure you can clear your calendar. And, um, you know, again, on that discovery call, try not to say anything about money or try not to commit to anything or set an expectation that you're not sure of in the moment. Um, so you can say, you know, that's, that's a really quick timeline based on my experience. These projects would typically take at least eight to 10 weeks. Um, but you know, let me look at my calendar and let me see what I can do. And then you can come back to them and say, you know, I need to charge a rush fee for this. I'm going to be clearing my calendar, doing this, that, and the other, your rush fee can be a set price. You know, maybe it's an extra thousand dollars or something, or maybe it's a percentage of the project fee itself. So those are some options that you can have, but just be careful with those unreasonable timelines because again, in my experience, that just ends up making a really rushed, stressful, um, just it can make you look bad type of relationship. And it's just, I don't find those particularly fun myself, but maybe some of you people out there do. So that's all good. (laughs) Now let's say you took, um, so the, the fourth question is, what if the scope is kind of unclear and you're not totally sure if you're on the same page? Well, like after you've gotten off the call and you've put together a scope of work and you're like, I think this is what they want. This happens to me a lot actually. And what I will do is I will put together a proposal and I won't put a price on it. And I don't even really go through my exercise of of figuring out what the price will be. I just want to make sure I have all the details right. So what I'll do is I'll have the discovery call. And as soon as I can after that, you know, hopefully within a day, I will put together a proposal and then I'll get back on the phone with them. And I walk through step-by-step everything in the proposal and say, 
do I have this right? You know, maybe if I have specific questions, is this something you wanted me to take care of or is this something your team would take care of? Ask them, walk through it, every single thing, take notes and make sure they, they're like, yeah, oh no, that's totally what I'm looking for. Actually, you know what, our team can take that on. Great, cross that off. And that's why I don't do the pricing exercise because a lot of times this stuff will change. It's kind of just a waste of time. So go through it, be, have this be a collaborative effort. I love doing this because then the client feels bought in to what we're going to be doing together. They feel like they've had a chance to work on this with me and that we're in alignment with what we're doing. They get excited about it. They get excited about what the outcomes are going to be. And I get them, give them a heads up before I get on the phone and let them know, Hey, this isn't going to have a price on it yet. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page of what actually needs to be done here. Um, and maybe you can give some options. Like I was thinking we could do this, this, and this, but um, another option would be to do this and they can make a choice there. And again, it's like this collaborative process. And I think it's a really cool way to go about putting together your proposal. So if you're not sure if what you've written up is correct, I would really, 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 really encourage you to do this step in the process. And then very quickly after the conversation, you know, maybe that same day, if you can, um, go through your pricing exercise, figure out how much it's going to cost. And then at that point, I would say, go ahead and email it over to them. You don't need to represent it unless the scope has you know changed drastically or something. And that leads me to my last sort of pro tip slash FAQ here, which is, um, how do you present the scope of work? And I will always 100%, almost with no exception, say that you should always present your proposals on a call versus sending them a PDF to read through. Um, you want to take the time to walk them through each section and really make sure that you are in agreement with all the expectations. You want to go through that terms section and just say, you know, these are here just to let you know just kind of how, how I work, how I operate and kind of what my terms are and talk through it. Don't, you know, don't be shy about this. You're a professional, you're an adult, they're an adult, this is business talk through this stuff. And you know what, this is going to give you, give them a lot of respect for you because this shows them that you care, that you've really taken the time to think through this, that you're a professional, that you're not messing around, you know, like you're going to get things done. And a lot of what I want to share with you, um, and that I do share with you is to help set you aside from other freelancers, to help you stand out as someone who's different, who's not flaky, who takes the time to think through things, who is excited about their client's work and is going to get work done at a really excellent level. Ultimately, your goal is to help your clients look good. You want to help this person look good to their company. You want to help their company look good. You want to take work off of their plate. You want to be low management for them. You don't want to just be another person they have to like manage and deal with. And so when you can go through all of these things and be right at their level, like actually peer to peer versus like vendor to, you know, someone hiring a vendor, you know, and you're working for them. No, you're working with them as their partner, as the expert that they're bringing in to accomplish this project. So by doing these things and by showing that you have boundaries around your project and that you have boundaries around your timeline and that there are consequences if those boundaries are not kept, you're, you know, you're setting the tone for how your relationship is going to go. And then you can really have fun inside the project because we all know the same, you know, boundaries that we're playing within. Whew, that was a lot, wasn't it? <laughs> so I hope it was helpful for you and that I was able to really sell you on how important your discovery calls are and how important some of the questions you ask are. Again, there's a lot more questions that I go into in that Google doc. So I would really, um, 
I encourage you to go get that. It's free. It's in a Google Doc. You can just make a copy of it right to your drive. Take it and, you know, obviously customize it, make it your own. And, um, you know, take advantage of these, uh, these things that I've learned along the way. Don't learn them the hard way. All right, on the next episode, we're gonna be talking about how to build that like, know, and trust factor with your clients, how emotional intelligence plays into that. And uh, I'm excited to share with you some of my pro tips there. So I hope to see you on the next episode of the Kenza Pod. Until then, have a great day.